Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. How often are we looking for the quick fix to a health, personal, or financial problem? How often do we dismiss looking at the root cause and attacking a problem from within versus searching outward for a quick remedy, someone to blame, or an investment that has the potential to shoot to the moon? Dr. Thomas K. has seen these scenarios play out within his missionary work and working with his patients as a primary care physician in a life full of transitions. Rather than going with the flow of a broken medical insurance system from Dr. K.'s perspective, He wanted to provide people with the ability to find their own identity. Dr. K believes that the spirit, body, and soul are all interconnected, which led him to create a holistic medical practice focused on root cause medicine and not quick fix solutions. Dr. K explains how his functional medicine and direct primary care practices work together to help people find their center. From a business standpoint, Dr. K's practice is unique because patients pay a monthly subscription versus using traditional healthcare insurance. From a healing standpoint, Dr. K's practice is unique because it is forward-thinking, not reactive, to helping people live better lives. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Thomas K. So, Dr. Thomas K, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You were referred to me by a former guest, Chris Belfry. And uh, in talking with Chris, he's like, you've got to have Thomas on, on your show. His story is, is unbelievable because I know how much you have tended to focus on uh, life transition. So um, I'm really uh, looking forward to, to hearing your story and, and uh, having you talk to our audience about what you do and some of the the changes that we were talking about kind of before we hit record yeah. um, in the in the medical field, especially around insurance and costs. So welcome yeah. to the show. Well, I got I to put a plug out for Chris. So he's my productivity coach. And if you want to take your life skills and whatever direction going personal and business to the next level, he did it. I went from like 100 patients up to 400 in a year during covid uh, and one of that was my software, but the other one, the bigger one was the productivity, getting that to the level. There's no way I could have increased that capacity without him. So just a plug for Chris. Well, well I, so I'm glad you brought that up because I, I'm going to make a note that I, I would want to come back and talk to that, talk about that during our, our conversation. So I think the best place for us to start is to give, to have you talk to our audience about uh, your background, what you do and, and how you ended up in, in the medical field. Yeah. Uh, so ooh, that's, those are a lot of questions. So <laughs> I, I grew up in Houston, uh, met my high school, uh, sweetheart in the senior year and eventually married her. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> and then, but that went to, I went to college outside Chicago, Wheaton college or Christian Lobart school, uh, is did chemistry Bible major there. I uh, knew I was going to do medicine. I worked in urgent care 
uh, five years, did an internship during high school. So I kind of knew medicine. And my dad was a psychiatrist. My brother uh, was seven years ahead of me, went to med school. And so I had a great understanding of what that looked like and, and knew that was kind of job career I wanted to do. Uh, then med school was in San Antonio, uh, residency in family medicine in Waco. Uh, we then lived outside San Antonio five years while I worked the ER and my w- wife took one of our kids in a lot of medical needs. Uh, and then in that time, we were looking uh, to go on the mission field. So it took us, we thought it was going to take us a year. It took five years to kind of get our, our ducks in a row and what God wanted uh, to put us into the mission field. We went to Bucharest uh, for five years, Romania, Eastern Europe, worked with orphans and did medical care, uh, did mobile clinics, all sorts of things. And then uh, that was that concluded the five years uh, abruptly. One, it was a closure of our time there, but also my sister-in-law uh, committed suicide. So that was a big change which then brought us back to the States. We've been here 12 years. I still did ER work. Now I'm transitioning out of ER into uh, family medicine. And that's a practice been up about five years. It started with my tree guy. So my guy who cut my trees, I said, yeah, I'm going to do this uh, a different kind of practice. He goes, oh, and then, then the next year he goes, I need a physical. I'm like, okay, well, we'll just sign you up and do it. So it's a primary care tract and also a functional medicine tract. So the primary care is different. Uh, and that is basically starting from scratch, uh, my practice, but that's a subscription service. So instead of getting into the very corrupt, non-corrupt, non I used to say healthcare was broken. It's not. It is, it is broken for the patient who is the consumer and the patient long ago forgot they were a consumer. And then it's corrupt because everyone else has a hand in the kitty. It's working just fine. That's why there's no cost containment. That's why there's no quality assurance because it's just spiraling up and up and up. Just like, you know, undergraduate, uh, it's what, double, triple the inflation rate. You know, there's something wrong. The market's not at play. So anyway, this is a different answer to that. It's saying, hey, just pay me monthly and you have my services. And so it's pretty cool because then I can help them navigate this world, be their advocate, find them the $35 x-ray instead of the $350 x-ray, right? Or they call, text, see me. It's, it's, I mean, I love it because you get that direct access you just don't get. The functional medicine is fun because that's where you, it's, it's a different than conventional. It looks at root causes. So instead of saying you've got depression, can't sleep, and fatigue, let's call that depression and give you Prozac. You're probably not Prozac deficient. But let's look at each of those symptoms and look for different causes. And they all overlap. The body, body, soul, spirit all overlaps and integrates. And that's why a, a holistic approach to me is the way to go. And so that's the whole functional. And when I'm a functional medicine doc, I'm kind of like a health coach, life coach. It's a lot of fun. And I do career things <laughs> sometimes here. You need the financial person here or you need a productivity <laughs> coach or uh, one patient I took care of. Uh, she's like, I'm on call like you. I'm like, wait, you're a, you help dental offices get supplies and help their office. How, what do you mean on call? Well, they were calling her all you know at night on the weekends. I'm like, hold on, hold on, honey. <laughs> you're not on call like me. You need to boundary that up. And how many clients do you have? 160. Oh, you need to, and I told her this, you need to fire the 10 worst clients. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and she did and rose, raised her prices. And she's she been six, those are the kind of things. Plus you can talk about hormones and toxins and gut health and get exercise. That's the functional medicine. So that's kind of, that's been developing. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and, and those have been huge transitions. So I'll leave it at that. So there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So mm-hmm. let, let's go back to, so you, you go through um, med school residency. Mm-hmm. How, how did you end up doing the work overseas, like the, the missionary so, work. Like, yeah, let's, so let's we, talk about that for a oh, minute. Oh, sure, sure. So my wife, when we started dating, we dated for about a year, year and a half into it. And then she's like, uh, you know, I think this is a great relationship. And I said, yeah, I think it is too. And I think we kind of came, hey, maybe we should get married. And she goes, yeah, but you're not going to be a missionary. 
And I was like, oh, what? Hold on here. And that kind of just flummoxed me for about four to six months. And I was like, oh, that kind of stinks. And so I kind of went to God and said, okay, I'm willing to go. Now, in my upbringing, that was like, you know, God would never call me. Some, something bigger than me would never take me into their story. I'd just be contained in my story, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how we all are. It's kind of like Frodo. I'm happy in the Shire, but all of a sudden there's a bigger story, right? So, so, um, so That's got to be, I have to laugh at that. Chris or Thomas, because that has to be the first Lord of the Rings reference I can recall on this show. <laughs> All right. Well, well, this, this kind of, you gotta, you gotta be looking for this, right? So, uh, and story, you know, what story you, you look at finances. Am I part of this little story and the bigger story, right? Right. And, yeah. The little story, it gets really small real quick and it leads to, you know, you could have all the riches and stuff, but if you're, if it's just your story, it's, it's pretty depressing. And that's where you get suicide because the story gets so small, you can't see beyond the hour or that's where you get addictions. I don't want to look backwards and deal with that. I'll blunt it, but guess what? It blunts all sides and your story gets really small, really bad, really pathology. Uh, but anyway, back to the Lord. So uh, where do we got lost there? Uh, so, um, oh, mission. So, she, so I came back and said, Hey, I'm willing to go. And she goes, well, that's what I am too. So then we got married between our junior and senior college uh, after a senior college, we went to Kenya for two months doing mission work. I taught in a Bible college. She helped out with logistics and stuff. I loved it because I was teaching students and she hated it because we were with missionaries who were two of the most racist missionaries, uh, people we've, we've ever met. And they oh, were in wow. Kenya because of the white man burden, the, they need me, that kind of, that was horrible. So I had this wonderful experience on missions. She had this totally opposite experience. And so that kind of balanced us. Uh, and then we got, went through med school. We did short-term, short-term stuff to Mexico and things like that. But then um, in residency, I went to Uganda for two, three weeks and the same missionary couple, you know, it's kind of funny. They went to Uganda, but there I did just all medical uh, and it was a bit eye opening. It's like, okay, this is what I'm called to do. Not Africa, but missions. And so then I came home and said, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to do full time. Cause at that point we we're doing like, okay, we're going to do a practice where one physician's gone, the three support that kind of combo. Uh, there's lots of different models out there uh, to do that short-term, long-term or semi short-term. Uh, then we felt called to go full time. So then when we got a residency, that's when we started looking, okay, where do we want to go? We felt Eastern Europe was on our heart. Orphans was always on our heart, especially my wife's. She's a school teacher, educator. So we just started looking and in that day and age, the internet was not that, you know, well-developed people's website was old or whatever. And we we're trying to make all these leads, trying to find a mission board. And then finally, God just said, you know, buy a ticket and go. So once I bought a ticket for Romania, tried to go to the Ukraine. So sight unseen, you buy a ticket to Romania. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. And at that point, then everyone's all of a sudden, by the time I left, I had a full 13 day itinerary filled or maybe 10 days that I circuited all around Romania. A friend from, a friend from the UK joined me as a, just kind of a brother to kind of go with the trip. Uh, and that's funny. His name's Robin. So my grandma was like, he's going to go with Robin. Like, Oh, it's a boy. Oh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, so we did a trip, you know, looked at all sorts of state programs, private in- programs, all these things. And then God just like, boom, this is the place. So I came back, said, this is a place. And my wife's like, can I go? <laughs> so then we went back on another uh, scouting trip, realized that was going to be our calling to go, uh, Eastern Europe, Romania. Bucharest. And then we did a second one. We did a couple more trips, just kind of solidify. And then we raised, oh, raised support in like incredible three months. We raised all of our support and we were there five years. Wow. So you, you do that and then you, you decide to come back to the States. Which is, which is interesting because up to that point I was doing medicine, right? So I kind of had to let go of medicine. 
in, in a very tangible way. And I was more of a project manager. So I totally different skill set that I, yeah, I'm not, you know, you, you know, med school does not look for project managers or people who can do meetings, right? right. So it was a, and business, right? That's why doctors are horrible business people because they're not, they weren't, you weren't looking for business first when you got in med school. Uh, and then you, you can see that you, you probably, you know, firsthand how good or poorly uh, they, they behave or think. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So those huge transitions, right. I, I'm all of a sudden making meetings, calls, I'm home, you know, all for breakfast, lunch, dinner. I mean, it was a great time for a family because, you know, we are three kids. Their youngest was oldest 11, youngest was five. We had five years there. So it was phenomenal time. Plus they got to see really the world literally. Uh, that they wouldn't have gotten. And again, if their story in the U.S., you never get outside your city, your state. Your yeah. Country, your story can be really small. So, yeah. So, so after, after Romania, after the missionary trips, you came, you said, come back to the States. Mm-hmm. And when you come back to the States, you start in the ER world. Yeah. So ER is very easy to get in, get out. It's like shift work, literally. So you can sign a contract and you say, I'm going to do three shifts, four shifts, 12 shifts, whatever. And the work is very easy. It is not the work itself is challenging, but the job is I show up, get paid and leave. And then there's nothing. So it's, 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 you don't have any ownership. You don't have any brand, right? That's why you see all these ER doctors that they have a challenge because they're creating this practice that's not theirs, right? And so that's why you're seeing in Texas, you're seeing standalone ERs because it's actually a brand and a, and a business. They can oh, that's very interesting. That's yeah, a good so, point. Yeah. So, and so doing that's easy to get. So by the time I landed back in the States, I had, four jobs lined up, right? In urgent care and a couple of ERs. That's, that's, that's the ease of getting in and getting out. That's why we did ER after residency because we knew we were going to leave. So I didn't want to start a family medicine practice, put all the heart, soul, time, and money into a practice that you really couldn't sell in three or five years. That's why I did the ER to begin with. Okay. So it made sense transitioning back, made it easy to pick up jobs and go. Okay. So then talk us through. So you, it sounds like in the back of your mind, you knew that the ER stent was just going to be temporary until you got to a place where you yes were going to no, start. I actually considered going back and doing an ER residency because in the ER world, you have, it's a two-tiered thing. If you're ER board certified, that is you did a residency in the ER, you're open to bigger jobs, which is more pay or higher volumes, which is pay in the ER. So I was kind of always in this family medicine doing the ER so that, that you have a different tier. So I actually considered doing that full-time. Uh, my father-in-law grandfathered into ER and, <laughs> and that's the, that's the person who I worked for urgent care before I started dating uh, his daughter. Um, <laughs> so that that uh, He's like, yeah, when you hit 45, 50, everyone's looking for a day job. And I'm like, I knew that ahead of time and it's fun. It's good. Uh, it's, it's, you know, my training is family medicine. So, but I was trained so well I could do ER. And I'm, so that in Waco was that because there was only residency. So there's lots of factors and it was fun. Definitely. But then, you know, your time, like, okay, I'm 50. I'm not really not interested in staying up all night or, or doing 24 hour shifts, which I still do. So I'm just still part-time, but it's, it's transitioning out. So let me go, let me go back to that. Cause you, you, you ran over that. I'm going to come back. So when you were, when you came back to the ER, you were working for your father-in-law. <laughs> no, 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 no. So that was in high school. So in high school, okay. I got a job as at an urgent care for the, in the summer. And that was my okay. summer job for five, five summers until I started uh, med school. Okay. Got it. Um, <laughs> so when, as you're going through, you know, the, the, your ER career, obviously in the back of your mind, you're, you're thinking family 
building your family practice. Like mm-hmm. uh, walk us through like what that transition was like, because that's the, you, you've, you've rattled off in the first 10 minutes of this conversation, all these life transitions. And, and like we were talking <laughs> about before we hit record, you know, in the almost year and a half that I've been doing the, the emotional balance sheet podcast, it's really been a lot of life transitions and how yeah. I think people underestimate the amount of life yeah. transitions they go through. You look at in medicine and psychiatry, psychiatry, we're very clear on, uh, you know, ACE events, which are, uh, what are the child, you know, those are traumatic child events, but also what are life stressors in, 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 in you know, divorce, change of job, all the, all, it, you know, life, death, all these changes they, they rock you. And, and in medicine, we understand that. That's where you see more chronic disease. You see more things flare up. You see depression. You see heart attacks. You know, uh, bad news can actually hit a cortisol boom. And there's actually a, um, oh, so what's the name? It's a, it's a Japanese name. It's a, the heart actually misshapes for a while. Oh. Sakazumi, it's a, it's a fish trap. Anyway, yes. and actually that, that's a, that's a hit triggered off of a spiritual, emotional, physical hit and then shows itself in the heart. You know, it, it's, a, again, it's a spirit, body, soul spirit, soul, body continuum, right? They all play into each other. That's why you need to be mindful. When I work with patients, uh, functional medicine patients, uh, I say, we're going to put it all on the table because usually what you don't put on the table is the one problem, right? It's the job that, you know, finally they, they switch their job and they can sleep or they get things spiritually, right? When I say spiritually, that means you have a purpose identity, right? Those are rock solid. And that comes back to the transition. Are you on rock or sand, right? What is your center? And that's where centering practices, where you see meditation, uh, you know, taking Sabbath breaks, those are life centering, you know, doing art, right? Touching the nature, all those things center you and keep the peripheral, all the circumstances from shaking the center. Uh, in the Christian worldview, you know, that's, we put Christ in the middle and then we have the outside. You can have other worldviews that accomplish that. But that's, that's to me, what, and, you know, life, death, all those, and COVID, I think two biggest things in COVID, not, you know, all the mandates, all that stuff, but it, it, it made people two things. Uh, what's going to happen if I die? But people only deal with that a little bit, right? Because, you know, you get close to that and it goes away, right? A funeral does that. Uh, life, death, events do that. But the bigger, bigger question is, why am I living? And that, that you have to wake up every day with, right? And so I think that's what's been shaking this last two years is people figuring out, wow, chasing this or doing that. What was this for? So those two, to me, are the two big questions that are shaking people, uh, rightly so. And then you've got to figure out, you know, are you on rock or sand? Yeah, it's, it's interesting you touch on that because I've had multiple conversations with people this week about the great, great resignation or there was a 60 minutes piece a few weeks ago called the big quit on how people are walking away from their, you know, current careers. Um, and, you know, the question I get, well, how can people afford to do that? Well, some people may, may, may be able to do that. I'd say probably most people don't, mm-hmm. but maybe they're just taking the, you know, a time out to yeah. figure out like what that next step is, what that next journey in, in their life transition is going to be. You need, you need to acknowledge that, right? This is change and then make it, make it work for you. You can just waste your time, right? Blow your, blow your savings a year or two, and then you don't have anything to show for. One thing uh, we did in 2014 was do the Camino de Santiago. It's a pilgrimage in Northern Spain. Are you familiar? No, I'm not. Okay, so in the Middle Ages, there were three pilgrimages. Uh, you went to Rome, Jerusalem, and this one was uh, Santiago Compostela, which is Northwest Spain. Uh, and so people up in the Middle Ages, you could have up to half million, million people on this pilgrimage. So you go start wherever in Europe and you start walking and you go to that the church at the end and then you walk back. Uh, of course, we'd only went one way. Uh, so but <laughs> it's the pilgrimage. And so right now it's transitioned. It's not just a spiritual, but it's, it's a, a cheap holiday. 
It's a, you know, a lot of life transitions. You meet people from all over the world on this trail. We did in 14 Germans, Australians, Koreans, Europeans. That's that awesome. But people, you know, when, when divorce or uh, retirement or finished school, a lot of people were on this Camino during those transitions. And so it gives you time to process. And when you do the Camino, there's kind of three elements to it. There's a physical, like, okay, I, we walked for 32 days in a row. So, you know, after day two, your body's like, okay, you walked 15 miles, but are you going to do it again today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so you, the body that it's kind of like fasting, uh, food fasting, it's kind of like, okay, you put it in, in order. You're going to do this. Okay. My soul and my spirit, we're, we're going to win. And then the second transition is the soul, right? The, the will, emotions, and um, mind, right? Okay. I've done this for seven, 10 days. Am I have the mental stamina to continue on? And then you get past that. And then you hit the spiritual, hopefully. And that's like, again, bigger picture, right? Identity, purpose, uh, purposes are your identity and motion, uh, a big picture, small picture, what, what do you value, which is what you honor, which is what you worship, you know, so you, you kind of move through these things if you give it time. And it's really fun uh, to talk to people because like one day on the Camino is like three to six months with a person. If we walk the whole Camino, it's like being with them five years. Because when you're on the Camino, you're not asking what's your, what's your car, what's your house. The first question you ask is, why are you on the Camino? And that's usually a life event, a big thing. And so you yeah. go with people really quick because you're not talking, you're all kind of dressed the same. Uh, you might have more expensive walking poles, but for the most part, you kind of look the same. And so there's not a lot of easy or easy you know, comparison or, or looking at. And so you're just kind of finding out about people and you're sharing your own story. So it's, it's a lot of fun. So that's highlights a transition that, that highlights what you can do to process that transition. And some people are extroverts. They need to talk it out. Some people are introverts. They need to journal. Some need to do it formally with a counselor. Some need to do it informally with their friend group. But this also pushes, I mean, when I work with some people, uh, people, it's like one of my challenges is a friend challenge. Okay, find your, your, how many good friends you have, not including your spouse. And then, you know, most people are like one to three or four. Some people say zero. I'm like, that's, 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 a, that's a bad thing. Uh, and I would say that, that bluntly, but there's something we need to develop, right? Because they did a, one study on dementia, and one of the most common core elements was actually how many social contacts you had. And so there's something healthy to having that engagement. And you go back to your life transitions, you know, we still see be productive. I take care of retirees or talk to them all the time. And they're like, whoa. And they have this idol of leisure or that's what it's about. Like, no, we're still called to be productive. We're still not get creative. Now it may not be a bottom line, but we're still called to be engaged uh, vertically and horizontally. Yeah. It's funny. You, you hit on that because when I'm talking with people, um, about retirement, whether they're, you know, within a few years or like, you know, longer than that. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I always give this example where back in my corporate career, I used to work with a lot of people, a lot of older engineers that were ready to retire. And what's sad thing is, is that a few years, you know, after they would retire, we'd hear these stories about how, you know, unfortunately they passed away because they just stopped working. Yeah. And I think with, in today's age, especially with this, our, our knowledge, you know, workers, if you will, and technology, people want and need to be engaged. Maybe it's, it's not working, you know, 50, 60 hours before that you were in your career. It's doing something else. And so I start having these conversations with people in their early fifties that about what do you want to do next? Because, you know, if, if you want to plan on retiring from, wherever you're at right now in, in 10 years, cause you just can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But you could potentially have a 30 to 40, even 50 year retirement yeah. um, span. And 
there, there's a financial component to that, obviously, that we that I discuss with people. But I'm more focused on the emotional part of it because sure. if you don't sure. get that right, everything else is going to blow up. Yeah. It, it, again, it goes back to your identity. You know, if your identity is my job, if my identity is doctor, which it's not, it shouldn't be. Then if I have a stroke or if I you know, you know, my arm gets hurt and I can't work in the yard. All of a sudden your career's gone, but is your identity. But that's why if identity, if your career's that close to your core of your identity, that's a problem. Uh, and then out of identity, you know, comes your beliefs. And so, and then out of beliefs comes your action behaviors. Uh, and so the action behaviors is where everyone usually sits on because that's their career. It's very tangible, right? Uh, and, 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 and we tend as humans want, want this idea of false control, right? Oh, I, if I, if I earn the paycheck, I'll do this. So those, those, if you kind of shore that up is my identity is different than my career is just an outflow of my identity. That's healthier because then you can switch things and you still have other things, right? You're engaging with people, you're engaging with kids, even though you're not working for someone or you sold your business. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's huge. So let's, let's dive in a little bit to your functional medicine practice, because I, I'm guessing that a lot of our audience won't, may not be familiar with the type of practice that you run. Mm -hmm. So I guess the first place to start is how, how did, how did you start thinking differently about how to set up your practice? Yeah. This red thing's I don't know how it comes up. Sorry. That's like that red thing. All right. So, um, so I've done conventional training, um, and then a dentist friend of mine uh, told me about this uh, testing place in Santa in Houston, out of UT, out of UT Austin, but in Houston that tests nu- micronutrients. So your vitamin C, your antioxidants. Like, cool. I've not heard of that. So I started exploring that, and and he was thinking he was looking outside of dentistry, helping you know, more of a holistic picture, uh, and that turned me on to there. I started listening to their. They have little free webinars, and so then I listened to. Um, uh, an OB-GYN doctor in Florida, uh, uh, Dr. Patty, and she, OB-GYN, and then she's in her middle of her lecture, she's talking about hormones, and she goes, well, I worked my way out of the OR. I'm like, what? You're a surgeon. I mean, surgeons, that's how they make their money. Procedures right. are always reimbursed huge. You look at surgeons versus primary care, you know, surgeons are, because it's a procedure, always uh, done that way. And for her to get out of the OR, I was like, I've got to listen to her. So then I started listening to more of her, and then that opened up to functional medicine, and functional medicine is, is kind of what I've already think I said before. It's it's looking for root causes. So and and that's a reverse. Conventional wants to tie a couple symptoms up, give a medicine, and then do that, or they're treating symptoms. Uh, like, and also it fits our American culture, right? If I can fix it, if I can take a pill and do a surgery, I'd much rather have a heart cath and put a stint in than actually do the twenty years ahead of time and make changes or do the hard changes that will actually prevent that or stop that. And that, that fits in our culture and it kind of clashes and it clashes in a way that's costly. And uh, when you look at a lot of heart casts, there's, I don't know if there's much debate, but outside of heart attack, you're doing a nice heart cast doesn't change morbidity and mortality, right? And so when you have those conversations, but it, but it does feed our, out. I think if I can get this done a procedure, it, it, it fits that not wanting to put the hard work in an easy, easy fix, which is one of, it's nice that we do make things easy. When you look at other cultures, you're in Romania, things were not easy there, right? And, and that you had to use up your time doing ordinary things. So there is something to make things easier in order to do greater creative things. We can do things, make things easy to be lazy, right? That's, that's going to be the shadow side of that. Uh, but so functional looks at, okay, what are the root causes? So if you're tired, that could be 20, 30, 50 things, not just, and there's usually top 10 things. Or if you're, um, you know, and that could be your hormones. And so then I 
I'll, I'll switch over. So I look at different categories. So I look at hormones. I look at gut health. I look at nutrition. I look at toxins that, that avoiding it and getting rid of them. And toxins also include infections and then body, soul, spirit. So I put those kind of categories up and then a patient comes in. Two patients usually come in for functional medicine. They're usually very symptomatic, right? Their testosterone's 300, although the lab says that's normal. It's not, you know, and the guy comes in, you know, can't, you know, your classic low testosterone look. Uh, also females come in usually earlier in their forties and fifties for a couple of reasons. One, they're more, they're more intuitive and more, more sensitive. So they're aware something's wrong. Guys are like, Oh, I need my arm cut off before I'll come in. Uh, I've had literally guys get saved by their, their, their spouse, their, their, their wives. Uh, they bring in and literally I've had two instances where they, they could have waited longer and boom, they went out shocked and got them back. So it's like, yeah, your wife saved you anyway. So, so functional looks to say, okay, what are these root causes? And also the, so symptoms drive people in. And then other, the other group of people that come see me for functional are the people who, who know there's something more, right? They may be operating at a six out of 10, but they know 10 out of 10, nine out of 10 is available, or they want to really, a classy word, not classic, classic word is optimize, not just settle for, you know, sick health, right? It's not healthcare, it's sick, sick care. Uh, but they want to optimize. And so those are the two people. And usually symptoms like the ER, pain drives people in. Uh, emotional pain uh, drives them into the counselor actually need to do something, right? That's a signal that something's wrong and I need to do something about it. So if people do that, then they come see me. And I do like a 12-month program. So I'm like, okay, we're going to start here. We're going to find out what your top symptoms are, what your top health concerns are. We're going to do conventional testing. There's some non-conventional testing we can do like gut testing and other like the nutrient thing I told you about. So we mix those together and then we have like a 12 month program. And then in the 12 months, uh, most people do a, then you know, kind of a functional light or, and bring primary care into it, but it's a 12 month program. It's pretty cool. It's, it's a lot of work. I, I would like that you know, uh, health is spelled W-R-K. I, I heard that from someone like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and more importantly, a lot of people, oh, okay, you're going to do work to do this program. Well, well, no, you actually can't avoid the work. Are you going to do work before the stroke, before the dialysis or after? Are you going to do it before you know, things unravel or, or after. And so there, it, you can't avoid it. It's a question of when do you want to do it? So the, the one that we were talking, listening to you talk through this, I, I just jotted a question down that I hadn't, hadn't thought about before is does what you do, would that work with telemedicine? Do you get involved with, with, so telemedicine, a lot of people put telemedicine in its own category. Telemedicine is just another way to communicate. So pre-COVID, I was doing a lot of this already because even my primary care patients, I meet with them every three or four months to then do some, I do like a, a something to optimize. It's, it's like taking functional medicine and giving them one element. So I kind of put that as a wellness program. So I'm doing a lot of visits. Now, the reason people come to the office in conventional is for insurance. It's for, it's for cash flow. So the way pre-COVID, the only way I could bill your insurance is if you come to the office. So I'm only going to give you a script for three months. So you have to come back to my office, get another script for three months. So I have to use up your time, your energy, your time is your greatest asset, right? Your most limited resource. And just so I can bill insurance. So with mine, it's a capitation, right? You pay monthly and we're done. We're done talking about the bill. So now you can call me, text me some emails. So I do televisits all the time. And functional medicine, I do offices at about three times during that year. And then the rest are tele or are, are tele ones. Yeah. Okay. So kind of walk us through the, 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 the details behind how your practice works from a functional standpoint. And when I say functional standpoint, not what you just described, but like the fact that you don't take insurance or maybe you do. No, 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 no. Insurance. 
my father-in-law is like, oh, you should do both because there's hybrid programs for primary care. You do insurance and uh, take it by. No, and they say, you leave money on the table. It's like money I don't want because when you accept, accept the king's gold, you have to accept his rules. And that's why you're seeing all this, you know, Medicare's, Medicare, Medicaid's controlling people's offices. It's been, to me horrifying. So they pay monthly. And, and most people, most people in primary care and functional medicine have insurance. So I can play, I can, I can write the script and write the lab. So that's, that's because that's agreements between you and the lab company and your insurance. So that's a separate um, relationship. But okay. I can still write the script for it. And so most of that can be usually taken care of in your insurance. But as far as my services, so you just pay monthly and you have me. So for functional, then that means we, our first visit, you know, I send you a bunch of history to fill out of regular history of functional medicine history and, and symptoms, like looking for cortisol, looking for energy levels, looking for gut symptoms. You fill all this out. We have our first visit. And we go over all that. So what are your, what are your symptoms? What are your health concerns? What are your symptoms? Then for all the, that data, I start finding a direction we need to go. Then between the first visit and the second visit, we do a bunch, we do the usual lab work where I look at all the hormones, cortisol, growth hormone, uh, equivalent, uh, testosterone, progesterone, all those things. And then the second visit's usually in the office. And that's where we go over the labs, go, I give them homework. So about e each time you got about five, uh, five to six things. That's about the max a human can do to make changes. And we talk about behavior modification right off the bat, uh, a book, Atomic Habits. Actually, oh, I'm, the I'm, best. Thinking, I'm thinking of making that like a prerequisite before my first conversation, but I'm not, that's usually first homework because it gives you the tool to make all these changes, right? I tell people, you know, you're juggling 30 balls. You probably only have capacity to juggle 20. So you need to get rid of these. And when I give you a new ball, you need to put one down. Right. <laughs> Once we build your capacity, hopefully we can build you back up to 30 balls juggling, right? And so the atomic habits is a key, but those are different ones, we elements we put in. And then each visit, we kind of knock out. We go over old homework. We go over new stuff. We do labs. And then de depending on how aggressive they want to be, see, I charge just for my services. There are some functional medicine programs, like it's a $10,000, and that covers all the supplements, all the labs, and all that. I'm like, I pare it down to just my services. So then you can decide how aggressive you want to be with the labs. There's a minimum amount of labs if we do hormone replacement. And other things, you know, if you wanted to do gut, we can kind of treat that empirically. Or when I say empirically, that's like the majority of people do well with this. Or we can get the $350 stool test that gives us a lot of information. But, you know, again, you balance that out with and how aggressive you, you want to take three supplements. I have some patients who take 50 supplements, right? And so you have to, what, what, what engagement we do, what things we do is tailored to how aggressive, how much. And they're like, I have some like, give me six or seven things, homework. And I have some bases like, I, I can only take three. So, right, it's tailored that way, how fast you want to go. And then after that second visit, I see them again. So, I see them three times in the first two months and then every two months after that. So, and then three of those in the office, rest virtual. So, kind of two questions off of that. One is back to the whole telemedicine. So, you're in Texas. Mm -hmm. I'm in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Can you be my, can, can I sign up for this? Can you be my doctor? Yeah, uh, I could be your health coach easily off the bat. Now, if I'm doing medicine, I have to have a, a state license practice. And actually, during COVID, the states wised up outside of the federal government and said, hey, let's get together and make it easier. So Texas is coming into that group. I forget what the name is. But now the, the, the goal is to make it easier for me to get a license in Michigan and a license in Georgia. I need to get one in Georgia because I have two people who want to come on there in North Carolina. But yeah, so yes, that will be easier. But you actually should legally for me to practice or write a prescription uh, it, that's where, where the rubber usually meets the road. You should be uh, in, in that state to practice medicine because up until now, and hopefully we'll stay that way, you know, we, we are 50 states that have you know, their own state rights and own state license. Right. Okay. And then the second part of that question is, so what is the cost? Like, do you, can you 
walk us through if you don't mind like yeah what, yeah. what so is this I, like I, you don't put the, i don't put the cost on the website because i actually want the conversation to happen because uh i think it's better to you know instead of just putting the price out there people are like oh i'm done it, yeah find out more and have engagement so for me it's uh, 250 dollars a month and that takes care of again all my services and that i ask for people to do a 12-month commitment uh i don't really want to take it all up front so it's kind of like a, a payment plan um, and it takes 12 months to kind of work through most people's stuff. And some people need to go at the end of 12 months, they still need another eight, you know, six to 12 months after that, just depending on, it's like the Rubik's Cube, uh, 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 a functional medicine doctor in San Antonio, uh, Austin gave me this analogy. It's a Rubik's Cube, you know, it depends how much messed up that Rubik's Cube is. It may not be two turns and you're back to normal, right? So depending on how many turns you need to get back depends on the length of that time. But for the most part, it's 12 months, 250, and that covers that. And that's all my services. It's like the labor. It's not the parts, right? So parts, right. Uh, all you have to be covered, you know, the descriptions, the supplements, the lab test. And that's where you're saying, like, if you have insurance, that's where insurance can pick some yeah. of that up. Yeah. And, and some people are like, oh, I can submit this. Like, well, I'm out of network. So it's, you're going to have a five, 10, $20,000 deductible. Yeah. And then even interacting with insurance, right? So testosterone is a great example. It's still controlled substance, which means it's harder for us to prescribe it. Uh, that, that makes sense for narcotics and benzodiazepines like Valium, Ativan, but for testosterone, it's, it's silly. So now with the insurance, I've had one patient like, Oh, can you help me get my insurance to pay for it? I'm like, yeah, okay. It takes me like two or three hours faxing, doing all this stuff. And they still don't get it through and wasted their three to six hours. I'm like, I'd much rather write you the script and cash pay is probably like 10 bucks for the month. Right. So next time that happens, I'm like, I'll just pay for your testosterone. <laughs> Save me a load of time. So that's that. So when people get this idea that health insurance is helping them with their health, that's a misconstrued health insurance is an overglorified financial plan, financial payment for something. So when you have that, if it's, it's basically like uh, spending and then you look back and do your budget, right? So, so that's why there's no cost control. And, 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 and insurance doesn't mind paying more because they're getting more. And government doesn't pay more because they either get more or they print more money. And right. the hospital doesn't mind billing more because they get it, right? So the average, um, uh, this is a little aside, but gallbladder surgery, the average cost billed is $400,000. The average payout is 100000 if you went to a freestanding, uh, there's a freestanding surgical clinic in Oklahoma. There's going to be one hopefully in San Antonio. That cost is $8,000. Wow. Who's keeping the $92,000? It, it's, it's not paying for what legitimately needs to be paid for, right? So those are just examples of how corrupt the system is. So when I interact with the insurance, I'm like, yeah, we can do this. And most people, you can get, you know, things like that. But I help them navigate. Uh, all right. But I'm also their advocate, whether primary care or functional medicine. So I found the $95 bone scan, or I found, like I said, the cheap x-ray for $45 instead of $450. I say people on the primary care, uh, there's a heart medicine. Plavix is a blood thinner you get after mm -hmm. a stent. Well, that's gone generic. Guess what? We need something else to replace it. So they replace it with a Berlinta, I think. And it's even some people with insurance, it's like $400 a month. And so I talked to, I looked at the studies. I had my researcher look at the studies. It was like equivalent. The, 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 the studies were horrible in the sense of it, it showed equivalence, not superior equivalence. And that's like, oh my gosh. So you switched out a dollar medicine for $400 medicine. And I got, I saved that person, you know, almost $5,000, right? <laughs> Just by talking to cardiologists saying this really isn't helping. This is unreal. So, then, yeah. so, so this actually brings a, a good point because a lot of people, when they, when they're getting into retirement or close or want to retire early before like age 65, when they would qualify for Medi uh, Medicare, healthcare costs, is obviously one of the biggest expenses they're going to incur. Yep, yep, yep. In listening to you talk about this, 
Thomas, is there, are there ways to, to help reduce that, that cost and that, that pressure? Because I, I know families that would, would rather or can retire early, except there's that, yeah, that healthcare so, yeah, bomb healthcare. looming over them. So healthcare and jobs, uh, I don't know if you know the history of healthcare and jobs. So it's World War II. Uh, so when, price, when wages were frozen, that's when they offered benefits. And then we've never uncoupled this, you know, job and insurance, right? Look at your car insurance. Do you have to get a, have a job to have car insurance, cell phone insurance, life insurance? You know, no, it's horrible. So we've had this unhealthy job health healthcare coupling. So to decouple that, yeah, there's ways to do that. Uh, you, if you do an insurance broker and conventional, you need a broker who is actually like a flat fee because you look for the one, if, because a broker has an inherent conflict of interest, insurance broker has an inherent conflict of interest. The more I sell you, the more I make. So you want to try to find one. And there are people out there who actually put together a package that if you want to do the conventional route, I have I've chosen to do the unconventional route. So I have a health share plan. So a health share plan is basically like pre, pre-1920s. There's a group of us. We're going to share healthcare costs. So I'm in Samaritan's Ministries, which is a faith-based one. We have 250,000 people in it. Uh, it's been around for 20 plus years. We cover about 29 million a month in healthcare costs. We're talking an entity that's basically $360 million a year. And that's so I, I get I, I sign up and then I take care of. So my check goes directly to John Smith in South Dakota for his appendicitis. It's phenomenal. And so I'm paying for my family of uh, two and two kids about $550 a month. If I was in the conventional realm, I'd be paying $15 to $2,000. Right, so exactly. Now, so now if it really only costs $500, where's that $1,500 going? Not for my health. It's going to the insurance government, everyone else who's got their hand in the kitty. So that's a great example. So that covers the big things. And then if you have a, a health share, going to focus. And then for me, you put a direct primary care doctor underneath that. So direct primary care then locks in the majority of your needs in a given year, a good primary care doctor should be able to take care of, right? You don't need a surgeon every year. You don't need a, you know, fill in the blank every year, but a good direct primary care doctor can, can take care of all that. And you actually then, from a financial standpoint, you've all of a sudden fixed your cost, right? Because my, my health share is set 500. And then my primary care doctor, the average rate is $70 a month in the, in the U.S., so all of a sudden you fix your costs from an employer standpoint, that's huge, right? You all of a sudden fix your costs and that's not, you know, if you need, if you get a sore throat five times, your cost is the same because the primary care, again, you, you've established that. So that one-two combination, I think it would revolutionize uh, U.S. healthcare. Boeing, uh, 747 makers, mm-hmm. they, they switched over to a direct primary care centered model and uh, they still have conventional medicine, uh, conventional practice with it, but they switched that. They saved 20% on the healthcare costs. 20%. That's, that a, that's, that's millions. That's huge. But that wasn't the, the number they loved the most. The number they loved is they had 56% less absenteeism. That's total loss of productivity, right? When they're not on the job, right. <laughs> you're not making money, you're losing, right? So that, that you're going to see more models come out. And uh, actually, some of my accounts are employer-based. And so like I have a two-car deal, two dealership, so I'm their direct primary care doc, a couple of churches that way. Uh, so that's uh, that's a huge model to change. So what you're talking is usually the the six the 55 to 64 year old is who is having a challenge because their their prices are high. I would switch over to a health share and a direct primary care doctor model. Now the direct primary care the health share has a you know you, you um uh, what you call mm, you have pre existing conditions right which is actually that's insurance you know this whole idea of healthcare shouldn't have pre existing like 
you can't wreck your car and then go get your insurance. That again, it's a <laughs> right. Model, right? Uh, there's an excellent paper. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen in Primus out of Hillsdale a couple of years ago, a guy did on health insurance, the, the history of health insurance America. It's a great article. I wish he read a book because that would flush out more things, but you know, you've got to get out of that. And so you, as long as you don't have any big uh, pre-existing conditions, you can go into health share, even your pre-existing conditions, let's say diabetes, the downstream effects will still be covered, right? If you have heart problems or, or kidney problems, you know, so there, there's ways to negotiate. And actually with our ministry, with our health share, we actually have a whole pot of money that we give people. Things aren't covered. Well, we reach out, we, we, we take care of our neighbor, right? So we, we give $50 a month. And if everyone in the group gave $20 a month, we cover all those pre-existing conditions. So there's ways to do it if you're in community in a culture that wants to do something different. So how would, how would somebody go about finding one of these health share plans? Is it just Google it? You Google. So there are faith-based ones because it makes sense. I mean, you look at all of our hospitals. Most of those were faith-based to begin with, right? Right. Yeah. So that, that, that worldview lends itself to caring for your neighbor, right? So it's not hard to find them. Uh, Samaritan's Ministries, uh, the one I do, uh, there's a Christian health share. Uh, that's another faith-based. Uh, Sidera out of Austin is a non-faith-based one, but phenomenal. And there's uh, Zion. Those are the four I recommend, but Sidera is easy. And, and look, what I look for is how long they've been going around, how much money do they cover? So that tells you how, how state and, and how many people they have. And so if, you know, that gives you the stability and, and how, like I said, Samaritan ministry, 20 plus years. If someone's been doing this for 20 years, they're still in business. They're obviously doing yeah. something right. Yeah, there's you know, a track so record. That's what I look for. And then for the direct primary care, you can just Google direct primary care by me, or there's a DPC Frontiers is a way to log in. If the, per, if the direct primary care docs logged in, there's a map that shows you all where they are. So there's ways to find them and DPC. And it's just understanding what that concept is, direct primary care. It's more and more, and it's interesting, more patients now that are calling me or potential patients, they, they actually know what that is. And so it's kind of cool that your branding, that branding is actually getting established. Can, can you... And if we cover this, forgive me for asking us talk. So what is this direct primary care then? So uh, direct primary care, so that's the primary care branch that I do, I do functional medicine and primary care. So direct primary care is kind of like concierge medicine. You may have heard that before. So it's basically yeah. paying monthly and you get the doctor's services. Uh, so direct primary care is the most national name. It's not, it's a, it's a, it's a way of doing it. It's not a like, I need to look up DPC Incorporated. No, it's not. Direct primary care is just the what we how we brand the name we've given to primary care people asking for you to you know it's a subscription. You pay monthly and you have my services. So that's 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 the name. Direct primary care. Okay. So and you so you have so I'm getting a better picture of this and a fuller picture of mm-hmm. your practice. So you have the functional medicine, but then you also have the direct primary, primary care. care. Right. And so how do those overlap at all, Thomas? Or, Sometimes. So I have some direct primary care folks, primary care folks who then want to do something more. They hit 40. They're, they have the, again, the, the two things that prompt them to come see functional medicine, the symptoms or the mm-hmm. desire for something optimal, they switch over and they do the 12 month program. And then the functional medicine, the vast majority of those, when they're done with the 12 months, I kind of, I, I'm those 12 months, I'm their functional medicine specialist. And so after that, then I kind of offer them a couple of transitions. One of the transitions that's most popular is instead of meeting every two months, we meet every three months. We still cover a couple of functional medicine elements, but then we also address all the primary care things, cancer screening, mm-hmm. uh, cardiovascular screening, blood pressure, you know, diabetes, all those chronic things, which functional medicine, hopefully we're making better so you don't need those medicines. But that's, I kind of blend those after. So they cross over in that way. And you had mentioned before, like where y- you've kind of become uh 
a life coach, I guess, if you will. So yeah, is that, is okay. that kind of, is that part of this functional medicine, yeah, that, this 12 month program? When you, yeah. When you put, when you do the functional medicine, cause we're putting all those on the table, right? We're putting those nutrition, gut health, but we're yeah, cause it's body, all, it's all inner, it all interacts with each other. We are spirit, soul, body, right? You have yeah. to apply both of those because again, like I said, when you leave it off, you know, if it's the job, if it's a lack of sleep, you know, less than four hours of sleep is equivalent to driving drunk the next day. So, you know, there's all these health things that overlap and you've got to address the soul. All right. How's your, how, how are you tending to your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions? We talk about emotional EQ, right? And, yeah. and, we do, and then we do career things uh, like I, getting things done. Uh, Chris's book that, that launched his career, you know, so I address those or 80, 20 rule. Right. So I do a lot of career, even career. Uh, okay. What are you doing next? How are you doing? Expand uh, for our work week. I just talked to a patient yesterday, primary care patient. I'm like, he's, he's, uh, he's doing commission. I'm like, well, what you, you also need to think about is wh- how much do you want to make? And then do the least amount of work to get that. Right. Cause then that allows you to do other things. And that, that's that branching out. And so those are things we hit doing the functional medicine, but yeah, it's health life coaching wrapped together. Yeah. What, I mean, what you're laying out is, is something that I've a challenge I've faced in the well planning space, if you will, is that Mm -hmm. people want to sometimes treat their financial life apart from their personal life. Mm -hmm. And you can't, they are I'm yeah. using for, my, for the people listening. I'm like using my hands interlocked. I'm like, those, <laughs> those are interlocked. You cannot separate the two. Like what you do on your personal side reflects in your financial side and vice versa. And I, yeah. and I have this phrase I, I, that I, I use a lot with people like the checkbook doesn't lie. You show me where you show me your checkbook. I'll tell you what you value. And yeah, if, yeah, if yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. change what you value, then you got to change your spending. Yeah. Your finances are just a reflection of your will. Right. And, yeah. and that's your soul. Right. And then if, if, if your soul isn't connected to spiritual, right, your purpose, your identity, then it's going to be going, it's going to chase all sorts of things. So yeah, it, you're, you're exactly correct. So yeah, it's an outflow. And if, if, if you have a bad attitude, you're depressed, guess what? You're going to make bad mind decisions. Right. And so they, they crisscross, you, you, you can't, you can't let them go. And that's right. I would think people, if you come out of financial box, they kind of leave you in that box. And what's fun with my practice is I put all the boxes on the table and because the doctor, because the history of the doctor patient relationship, people are willing to divulge all those things. And and from a financial side, I'm, I'm doing, I'm blessed. I'm quite well. So, you know, I don't mind talking about finances because you're not, I'm not still threatened. My ego is not on the line. And so it allows people to then engage. And if you're able to share your doctor, your, your physical secrets, right. My sexual trans disease or diabetes or whatever, you're able to share those others. And that's what, that's, that's been a beautiful thing of practicing medicine is that always people usually are, are easy to open up and willing to confide. And you have that trust and I'm looking out for you in all these other areas. You can trust me in these other areas. So it's pretty fun. I'm I'm smiling because you've you've mentioned this reference twice now about uh, table and I go back to one of my other favorite phrases and and my kids get tired of it my my families that I work with and my and my firm probably get, get tired of me saying but I always have this phrase I just put the fish on the table <laughs> <laughs> I love it this is this has been a fascinating conversation Thomas I I like. I, and th- we could keep going on and on, but I know I only have you for a finite period of time. And I think we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back on again, yeah, because again. there's, yeah, there's fun. a lot of things that we could dive into more. And, and I'm really fascinated about this whole um, cost of healthcare that oh, yeah. I think could really be beneficial for a lot of people. Yeah, I have to go at nine. So just to launch that, if you want to do a book, Marty Macri, I'm John Hopkins, The Price We Pay phenomenal. And you can hear him. He does what he has actually done a couple of web things. You can pick him up on his thoughts on COVID, 
but he's been phenomenal. There's other people. Uh, we do a free, free market medical association talking about bringing the free market. The, the quick things on that is if you look in medicine, if you look at free market, it should, uh, cost could go down, quality should go up, right? And in medicine, that's not true, except in three areas, Lasix, plastics, and in vitro fertilization, because those are all cash pay. And, and when you have that, guess what's happened last 10 years? Price has gone down, quality's gone up. Everything else in medicine, you know, the, it's decoupled from the market because it's spiraling up. Again, like I said, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no cost containment because everyone's getting what they want, right? It's corrupt. Everyone's getting the hand, everyone in the hand of the kitty is making it. And we, yeah, we can go on, but he would be your person. If you land him, oh man, you'd be, <laughs> it, it, but you just need to listen to him and you can find other people who've heard from him. But yeah, there's a lot of things we can talk. I'd love to come on again. I do have a nine o'clock patient, uh, but man, yeah, if you have other things you want to do, fire away. So what is the best way for people to find you, Thomas? Um, you can do uh, direct primary care, New Braunfels, or functional medicine, New Braunfels. Uh, that should land me. But probably my, my web on the functional medicine is yet to, we're relaunching that. Okay. So direct primary care, New Braunfels, Thomas K, boom, you'll land me. Should be the first okay. hit. Sounds good. We'll put a link to that in our show notes too. And so I'll get to the, I'll, my last final question, which I ask all my guests, especially knowing that you have I think you said, do you have three kids? Three kids, one grandkid. What is the best thing about being a parent? Oh, um, two things. One, you, you're launching them, right? Uh, there's a story in The Hobbit um, where, um, you, uh, you know, where the, bar, uh, I forgot the guy, Bard, he shoots the, the arrow, okay? And, and before he shoots it, it's like that's the last arrow. It's the arrow. He's got to hit it, right? And he's like, man, and he goes, just go where this needs to go and boom. That's what our kids are, right? We have a, we have a quiver full or a couple full or whatever, and that's our chance to develop and launch them. The other thing it does, like marriage, if you aren't, self-absorbed, it will beat the selfishness out of you, right? So getting married and having kids, if you're going to give yourself off just for someone else, right? It will beat it out of you, which is really healthy, right? And we need that out. We need that beating out of us daily. <laughs> well, Dr. Thomas K, I cannot thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And uh, I'm definitely going to look forward to some more of our conversations to come. Awesome. Uh, I, it's great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.